What's going on, everybody? This is Sean of Ross Like Music. And this is the Super Sunny Show. I'm La Molly. This is Blue and Green Radio. Party people, this is Mr. V of Confessions of a Curly Mind, broadcasting through Blue and Green Radio. You're listening to Steve Williams at UK5.org. Welcome to the Blue and Green Sessions. Ride the vibe with DJ Ronnie Ron. Cosmic, Cosmic Radio. Twisted Soul. Futuristica Radio. You're listening to the Blue and Green podcast, and I hope you enjoy what we are going to say. Blueandgreenradio.com Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Blue in Green podcast. My name's Imran, thank you very much for your time and your company for the show today. Such a great show we have lined up. I will get to it momentarily. Quick reminder however, uh, the Blue in Green podcast runs in conjunction with Blue in Green Radio, the online internet radio station that broadcasts from London and hosts some wonderful shows from across the world. All of us celebrating our unwavering passion and for uh, contemporary soul, jazz and funk music. So I uh, would love for you to check us out at blueingreenradio.com. You'll find uh, our, our 24 hours a day, 7 days a week radio stream uh, broadcasting through the homepage. And you'll also find the full backlist catalogue of our podcast series. So uh, with great excitement, uh, today's episode sees us spend time the, for the third time with uh, Bright Dog Red's Joe Pignato. This is in celebration and anticipation of their fourth album due out in June uh, 2021. So it's incredibly exciting to uh, catch up with Joe. This is the third time uh, that we we have been very fortunate enough to do so. And um, uh, his insight on on things I think is really, really fascinating. And uh, he's just one of the most interesting people to talk to. I think he has some amazing anecdotes. Um, I'm thinking back to the first episode uh, we managed to record with him and his um, kind of just telling us about learning from Yusuf Latif and those sessions where they would play together and uh, just really, really incredible stuff. And today's episode, as we said, we, fo- we focus primarily on the new uh, Bright Dog Red album release uh, entitled In Vivo. And... Um, this is uh, the band's first live album, which is really, really exciting. They're an improvisational uh, jazz collective uh, that kind of thrive on this making music in the moment uh, uh, kind of aesthetic, which is uh, just an incredible thing to kind of be able to witness. And for this episode, kind of listening to almost just the events of the actual day of the sort of the recording of this album, which took place uh, late uh, 2020, uh, hearing everything surrounding the day and everything that... Um, kind of uh, add up to this this uh, wonderful serendipitous kind of experience uh, that we all get to experience uh, again in uh, June 2021 so uh, with great excitement uh, we uh, will we'll move over to uh, our conversation with Joe uh, before we do however quick reminder that uh, the Blue in Green podcast features two songs uh, per episode uh, our guest in this case Joe has the opportunity to pick our closing number but I have the uh, the luxury of picking the opening one 
one. For my selection, I'd love to venture back to the band's third album, Something Comes Along. Uh, an incredible two-disc set, and I'm going to play, I think, my favourite from uh, said set, and it's going to be the, the project's title track, which is just such a such a joy. Soon, uh, uh, from right from the outset, I just love this record. And, uh, yeah, I thought it would be a great way to kind of re- to introduce people who may be unfamiliar with Bright Dog Red. And, um, yeah, here we go. So thank you so much for checking the episode out. I very much hope you enjoy it. And uh, I must say thank you again to um, to Joe Pignato and those fine people over at Ropadope Records who we adore. So thank you so much, friends, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy the episode.
Thank you. How are you today? I'm I'm well. Thank you very much. Um, I suppose we should have a COVID update. <laughs> so from where you are in in, in the states, how, how are things going over there at the moment? Uh, it is improving. It's still um, a bit difficult in certain spots of the country. There is unfortunately a vaccine hesitancy. That phenomenon of mm. people thinking that the vaccine will do various things to them that it couldn't possibly do, but they fear it. And so they hesitate getting it. And that's, you know, allowing the variants to spread, but it is yeah. better and things are starting to open up um, and get back to uh, a little bit of normal. Yes. We spoke actually a little under a year ago, I believe. And, you know, we were sort of really in the midst of it, uh, each of yes. us, I, I suppose, in, in this sort of quarantine period and everything. Yes. So yes, I, that's I think right. we were struggling to, I guess what's scary now is it's nearly a year later and what we were sort of struggling to get to grips with it last year, but now <laughs> we're uh, uh, sort of well well versed in in kind of what the processes are and what the new normal has become over the last uh, uh, well fourteen or so months, right? How how is how is schooling stuff going on? Are you able to? Are you back in the classroom yet? Or uh, that will will happen in the. Um fall semester which actually starts in late summer in august so that's when i'll next be back in the classroom i've been all remote since um, mid-march of 2020 when everything kind of came crashing down and how's that process been teaching in that context it's you know it's look it's a challenge um but under the circumstance it does give us uh at least a semblance of being together mm-hmm. um and so you know i've had some students do really amazing work and others have really struggled in the in the context and i understand i feel their pain it's been difficult for um their professors as well for sure yeah absolutely yeah i can imagine um I mean, I suppose that's sort of a, a, a smooth kind of segue into discussing your current project. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of the way it's, you know, not being able to be present in the room uh, with students and with uh, uh, avid uh, fans clamoring for uh, your alter ego in Bright Dog Red. Um, uh, you know, we have this wonderful project kind of coming out uh, in June and um uh, entitled In Vivo, which is a live set that you guys recorded uh, November 2000 at Shapeshifter. Um, I, you must be really excited that this is uh, seeing uh, a release now. 
Very, very excited, and for a number of reasons. I mean, just uh, the relationship with Ropadope has been really wonderful for us. Yeah. So that's that's one reason. This is the fourth album in three and a half years. Yeah. Um, but also because um, when we put out our third album, a double album, something comes along. Um, there was a lot of anticipation, and a lot of good things were brewing for the group uh, as that album was coming together. Um, and of course, the pandemic really. Uh, put a halt to a lot of those things, uh, chances to tour and perform, um, you know, really just shut down. So we thought in 2020, we would be doing a lot of gigs. Mm -hmm. And we, we launched the year with an appearance at New York City's Winter Jazz Fest, which was a great uh, experience for us. But then that was it. <clears throat> um, we had a gig at New Blue where we played regularly prior to the pandemic. And that was actually our first gig that was canceled. That was on uh, March 13. 2020. Right. So that summer, I didn't know what was going to happen. And when um, we got the chance to do a performance at Shapeshifter Lab, a very important venue to the group, um, it was in late no, um, 2020, November, mm -hmm. and we jumped at the chance. And we, we weren't thinking of making a live album. Uh, we had had discussions about doing a live album if some of the touring that we thought we would be doing 2020 came together. Uh, we had the idea maybe that would be a good idea for um, the fifth Bright Dog Red album because we were actually working on a studio album. Um, so this opportunity just sort of presented itself and Shapeshifter had been doing live streams. We have a long relationship with the venue and we're able to make it work. And uh, so I'm just excited that it, it came together the way it did. It came together not as a purposeful decision, let's make a live album at Shapeshifter, but, oh, we have a chance to play a place that's been a home to us, mm. seems the perfect place to play. Um, and then that it turned out to be a good set was really something. How long have you been playing at Shapeshifter? Well, um, the venue's really important to the history of this band. Uh, the, the proprietors, Matthew Garrison, uh, the great, musician, bass player, arts advocate, uh, and Fortuna Sung, um, who uh, is his partner in Shapeshifter, who is also an arts advocate and um, runs sort of the operations uh, of, of Shapeshifter. The two of them have been, uh, I think I say in the press kit, they've been champions for the band. And I really mean that. Um, they gave us one of our first public gigs, uh, and that would have been in 2016. And, um, you know, immediately after, Matt said, when are you coming back? <laughs> and so we've been back many times, at least once a year, sometimes two and three times a year. Uh, and through, through performing at Shapeshifter, we've gotten to collaborate with great musicians like the wonderful multi-instrumentalist -instrument uh, Morgan Guerin. We met at right. Shapeshifter. Um, we were both on one of his groups and, and Bright Dog Red were on a bill together. And then uh, we collaborated with uh, pianist Zach Clark, who we met there, wow. um, wonderful composer and pianist. And then um, uh, more recently, we did a double bill with uh, a wonderful trio with Tim Lefebvre on bass, uh, Jason Linder on um, keyboards, and the wonderful, amazing drummer Zach Danziger on drums. Wow. Um, so we've, we've, you know, it's been a hub for us creatively, and also it's helped us network and um the amazing thing about Matthew and Fortuna is they've done that for countless, countless musicians. Mm.
and also for for the community they're they're they support uh, local arts organizations and um, uh, community groups uh, that use the space for all sorts of things for fundraising for coming together so um, some some of your listeners might be aware that shapeshifter like many venues uh, with the shutdown has experienced uh, financial difficulty and there is a goFundMe for shape shifter that uh, if, if folks can I would uh, highly encourage them to support because it's it's a it's a very important space uh, culturally but also in a way politically because of, of the position and the stance they've taken to, to fearlessly support so many creative endeavors right amazing I mean theirs was a you know as as via to the response as was sort of needed and it's been interesting watching how the the industry over the last year has had to adapt you know to for an independent artist to continue to keep working they've you know had to take to even if it's live streaming from their bedroom you know and yep. um, it's amazing to see how the, some of the venues have been able to kind of um sort of carry their carry business forward basically by kind of doing what they've done right with in vivo in terms of introducing live streaming and that's um it's been a sort of a necessary sort of i guess response uh that the industry has had to kind of uh you know take to enforce just to keep going really hasn't it indeed indeed well said it's um it's interesting i guess for, for you because you're in this situation i mean was this the first live stream performance that you've ever done because on one hand you're you're in this this venue and you're thinking there should be loads of people here enjoying this and dancing and everything but now you're not just playing to the room you're playing to the world <laughs> like from a, through a computer screen i mean it, what is that does that weigh on you when you're performing are you what what kind of what's the process when you're kind of in that moment performing it's a great question and it, and it wasn't our first live stream we had done a couple of facebook lives um long before the pandemic uh one of the members of the group uh, who ironically was not there for in vivo so he's not on the album but saxophonist mike labombard um mm -hmm. had started just putting his phone up and doing facebook live streams about performances uh which, which i didn't know once i found out i said yeah you know i don't know should we be doing that and he's like oh i don't mind <laughs> You know, I don't mind stopping, you know, like I was like, no, no, maybe we should like it was an idea that we started banding about. Is there a way we could do it? And of course, you know, less than a year later, we were, we were compelled to think about it. Um, and so um, when the chance came to do it at Shapeshifter, um, I think the biggest concern was that we hadn't played since January of 2020. And now it's November. And um, not only had we not played as an ensemble, but none of us was playing at all. So you can practice all you want in your home studio, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, playing with other musicians is such an important part of being loose and limber and ready for a gig. And, and given our approach, which is that um, you know, we, hit, we hit the downbeat and start with no, no composition. <laughs> it's completely improvised. So there was, a, there was enthusiasm, there was excitement, and there was also a little trepidation uh, about, you know, would, would the chemistry, we knew the chemistry was still there, but would it come to life? Would it activate uh, within the course of an hour? And it is strange because you're there and the crew's setting up and everybody's wearing masks and um, uh, the what we were doing was under, under New York City's guidelines, what we were doing was actually a media production. So it ran kind of like that. It was like being in a television studio in a way right. with uh, five cameras in the front and um, 
and the you know the staff at Shapeshifter, they were all positioned, and there was markers showing you where you could walk, where you shouldn't wow. walk, so you were always maintaining distance. Um, and that actually was reassuring because they had it so together that I was like, oh, all right, some of the some of the anxiety of COVID actually I was able to escape in that moment. Um, and then it became, oh, we're playing, we're playing live. <laughs> and as soon as you know, Matt's Matt's gave us the thumb up or Fortuna, I don't remember who gave us the thumbs up that we're going live. It's like, oh, there's an audience now. So it was strange to be in a, in a almost vacant space, save for the technical support, Matthew, Fortuna, and the band, but know that there were people who had purchased the live stream because we were getting updates. It's like, oh, okay, we're, this is, this is going well. There are people responding, you know, um, you know, because a lot of times people, they, they pay for their live stream entrance right when they're ready to enter. So you don't really know right. ahead of time. It's not like selling tickets to a show where maybe you could, you could sell a lot of tickets ahead of time. This is like, you know, if you if Dow beats at seven 30, it's seven suddenly all these, you know, ticket right. sales start happening. So <laughs> it was interesting to be like, oh, okay, there's an audience there. We knew that. And we knew that it was an international audience at that point, that there were folks in the UK where we have uh, quite a bit of support. By far, uh, beyond the US, the UK is the most supportive uh, territory internationally. But there were folks from other parts of Europe and from Japan and from, um, I believe uh, Africa and from um, wow. South America. So we had a kind of spattering of our fans from around the world tuning in with our core American friends and family and fans. And, and that was encouraging to know. And, you know, at that point, we didn't know who, who was logging on, um, but we were getting sends, oh, somebody, oh, we just got somebody from the UK, you know. Um, yeah. And sort of at the end, Fortuna started reading off names and there were comments from people in the chat. So it was a, a weird mix of trepidation, excitement, and then surprise because from the downbeat, the set just unfolded. It sort of took us with it more than we took it with us. Mm. It, was a, it was an amazing set. And it's just funny just picking up on what you said about kind of finding reassurance in the fact that it was so structured. I figured that that would have almost played with your mind a little bit because your performances are anything but structured. So seeing everyone stick to markers and have places and don't do this, don't do this. I thought you'd be like, Oh no, the, you know, I, there's too much kind of instructions going on here. And I don't feel free in the normal way of that you would when playing live. I felt free because I felt safe, uh, not right. just from COVID, but, but shapeshifter has been such a haven for us. So once we were in right. position and, in that familiar space is like, okay, yeah, yeah, this, this is going to work. The chemistry will activate. Right. Nice. Um, it was, uh, I, I, this is the third time I've had the, the luxury of the fortune of, of, of talking to you. And I, I know every time we've talked, you've always uh, mentioned what your opening line is when you have the chance to perform live. And I got to say, it was a real buzz to kind of see it, <laughs> to kind of hear you say, uh, if you're curious to know what we're going to sound like, then so are we. So to kind of be in that space and watching this live at like midnight on a <laughs> on my laptop at home was like, oh my gosh, that was a, uh, that was a super cool. It would have been a real downer if you hadn't used that line, I think. <laughs> well, I, we, we like to let audiences know. And um, when we perform live, uh, our sets are completely improvised. And, and one thing about this album that distinguishes it from the first three we've released 
is that it is it is the complete set beginning to end with the bare minimum of editing. In fact, the actual performance from downbeat to end is 59 minutes and change, and the album is 58 minutes and change. So we lost about uh, 50 seconds to um, some technical issues that we had to edit out and to uh, finding right spots where we could break the progression. So we broke it into tracks, but track one is the first part of the performance. Track two is the next part. It's in sequence. And this actually is different from our other albums. Our other albums are recorded live in studio, all improvisation. But for those albums, there's usually multiple sessions. Um, I listen to those recordings and I, I edit and mark up what the improvisations are about. And I, I make notes to myself and eventually that process, which is kind of iterative, you know, I go back, I listen again, I rethink, I end up with a collection of tracks that I then sequence the way you would sequence an album. So what you get in our first three albums is a collection of tracks that are kind of like songs and compositions, and they represent a moment in a much longer improvisation. Maybe we played for an hour and a half, but that seven minutes was a seven minutes where we really came together. Mm-hmm. Um, and fans often email or leave comments. Um, and a couple of reviewers have commented, you know, although your albums are created via live improvisation, they have to be different from an actual performance. And so that got me thinking like, yeah, wouldn't it be interesting to do a live album where it was just beginning to end performance? We, we tried to do something like it before we were uh, affiliated with Ropadope. We, we did an EP that was um, a 31 minute single track, but it was also a studio improvisation. It was not done uh, you know, a live stream or in front of a live audience. It was, it was done in studio. And there was some editing and there was a little bit of overdubbing. So it wasn't quite the same, but this album is that set broken up into tracks to make it, you know, more digestible, but it's that, it's that hour long set pretty much as it happened. Mm. Is there obviously, you know, as you said, you didn't have the opportunity to kind of be performing together, rehearsing together, you know, in, in the run up. Uh, to the the gig I mean was the, what kind of conversation takes place before you go on particularly after this amount of time is there any conversation about you know anything anybody wants to do or is it just no like blank page for most gigs there is some conversation um, occasionally there isn't uh, when, when we're playing a lot you know like one year we did like 50 gigs and wow you know, that year um we just hit the stage and see what happens. And, and that, that was the band that uh, I believe that's the band that did house by you, which was a quintet. Um, mm-hmm. But this is a larger group. So it takes a little bit more coordination. It's a sextet on um, in vivo. And, and the band's been a septet uh, with Michael Bombard when he's with us. Um, so it, you, know, you start to get six or seven members. It becomes a little bit more, you, you need to coordinate a little bit, but really all we're, all we're discussing is who are we playing for and what are they expecting? So we don't, we don't really alter what we do or pander to audiences because uh, that's a, actually disrespectful, I think, to audiences. Right. Um, but you also don't want to uh, ambush an audience. So depending on where you're playing, you have to think what aspects of what the band can do make the most sense. So, for example, 
early in our career, we got to open for George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic, something I think you and I have discussed. Yeah. Um, and, and we had to think about that audience is coming for that group and for all of the experience that comes with being at one of their shows, which is, you know, I've, I've seen them now five times and one of my favorite live experiences ever is seeing George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. But it, it would mean that we would have to think about, okay, what are the things we do that are going to intersect with what that audience is ready for? Mm-hmm. Um, just the same, if we playing, uh, we play this place in Philly a couple of times, that was really great, very supportive of us. But it, it also is a restaurant and a bar. And we have to think about, all right, well, what if you're someone who came in for dinner and you have no idea about, you know, avant jazz fusion? Nice. <laughs> um, we have, you know, so what are the things? And, and usually what we'll do in those instances, uh, another example would be one time we found ourselves headlining an outdoor festival with, you know, like families and children coming on a sunny day in the summer to hear live music. Um, and in those instances, we don't change what we do much, except that we might be um, a little more focused, let's say, on rhythm. Let's be, let's be more rhythmic. Uh, I'll let the band know that I might start with more of a steady pulse. So in this instance, um, you know, there was a notion that maybe we should start with a little bit of... Uh, kind of feeling each other out. And if you listen to the beginning of the first track, um, you know, you, you'll hear it. You'll hear us kind of listening, feeling each other out. And maybe about, you know, the, the first track's kind of long, maybe about five minutes in, it just kind of clicks. And, you know, that was the first sort of editorial decision I had to make was, do, do you keep that first five minutes in where maybe it's not quite as cohesive as it is at that five minute mark, but I felt very strongly that if we did a live album, it should be a document of everything, the searching, the seeking, the process that we go through, um, because that's what, again, the you know reviewers and folks like yourself and, and fans have really asked about over the years. And I thought, you know, I, I think people should hear it as we're kind of testing each other out, listening, trying to come together. That's, that's, uh, you've said like 10 fascinating uh, things in there. It is incredible. You're absolutely right. That beginning process. And that is, that's a real sincere thing to, to consider it. Uh, from that aspect of let people hear that in terms of yeah you're absolutely right I suppose they could have you could have you know taken it from the point where you thought boom this is when it it kicks in but that that's a real fascinating point um and also yeah how you kind of tailor performances just from discussion about what are they expecting that's that's incredible um the idea of the live uh the live uh album it's really something we discussed the very first time we spoke. You've, you've always, I've always enjoyed talking to you, particularly over the years, because I think from the first time we spoke, from um, when Means to the Ends came out, twenty eighteen, you always had a very clear plan for what you wanted the album. I, I know you always talked about sort of releasing music consistently. You wanted the live album. You wanted the um, uh, the, 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 the proverbial remix album where you would hand over stems to another uh, a DJ remixer producer and let them reinterpret that and you mentioned that the second time that we spoke as well so you know you, it, you've always had this master plan and it's awesome to see them getting ticked off you know like the live album as I said something you talked about uh, a long time ago is 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 there something about this live album where you're like yeah we, we did it but I, I'd like the live album with the crowd as well at some point down the line. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, that's a weird thing to do a live album without the sound of an audience. It, it definitely is uh, weird. Um, and it, it changes the dynamic of our band because the audience is such a part of what we do. We're, we feed off of their reactions and their responses. And, and we can tell when they're really into something and, 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 and when they're maybe not. <laughs> you know, like we can really respond and it's sort of the audience becomes... You know, if, if they become an eighth player in the band, if you will. Right. And so, you know, and I think a lot of improvising musicians and, and just performers in general, you know, will speak of that, the role that, that an audience plays. So um, I, I would love that to be a part of it at, at some point. But I feel good about this album because uh, we, we were able to document a full set. In other words, it, you know, the original plan was to do um, there, there was a chance of a short West Coast tour in the U.S. And the, and the plan was, well, if we could record all of those dates, it was just a few dates, but if you record three to four dates at key locations, you would have material for a live album. And that was very appealing and that was kind of fitting in with the vision. So like, you know, I appreciate you, you acknowledging that I've always had a vision, but, you know, good visions have to be flexible. Sure, <laughs> and so, yeah. And so this is not, actually what I envision in the sense that um, not only is there not an audience, but if we took three or four nights of recordings, we would start editing and actually we'd be doing kind of what we do when we make a Bright Dog Red album in general. And so that was actually kind of a factor in the way this album ended up being edited is that when I started to work on it, um, you know, those first five minutes of searching, I was like, you know, X them out. I was putting in markers. No, we'll lose this. Oh, here's a good downbeat. Right. And and I even went to the point of like rough edits of tracks. And then I'm listening and I'm like, this isn't any different than a previous Bright Dog Red album. The, the tracks were good. That It would have worked. But it would have been a collection of songs that sound a lot like a Bright Dog Red album as you would perceive it. And I thought... I need to rethink this. I do need to edit tracks because nobody's going to want to listen to a 58 minute single. Um, and also, you know, as one of my friends in U S radio said, you know, uh, it, it helps folks like me out to be able to play a, yes. a track rather than, <laughs> you know, one album for 58 minutes. Right. So, so, but I had to really rethink the editing. Uh, and uh, what you hear on the album is an attempt to, to break it, not on a downbeat of a new section necessarily, but break it at a place that makes sense, but but allows you in each track to hear the searching and the transitions. Right. Nice. That makes yeah. That's that's a again that's wonderful uh, kind of foresight to have and or, or wonderful sort of a consideration to have in terms of the to differentiate obviously that live experience for a listener and obviously in what goes into putting an album together so that's a yeah that's a fascinating take on it um uh what um i was trying to scram i was scrambling for this just before we started our conversation uh the the date of this performance am i am i wrong is or is was this the same day that was um, announced as the the new uh, the presidential election results were unveiled. Is that correct? That is correct. On November seventh, uh, I believe that's the date that the state of Pennsylvania was called. Yes. 
for uh, Biden Harris, and it uh, you know it made uh, made it clear that that their election was decisive uh, right. because it started to look like they might also win in Georgia and in um, Arizona, which were surprising results. Which mean it would mean not only it would be a victory, but a decisive victory, and. Right. Those those uh, announcements on that day, um, you know, I think everybody anticipated that there would be a sense of relief, at least among uh, a large part of the the U.S. But uh, I don't think people anticipated what what would actually happen, which was you know spontaneous celebration all right. all, all around uh, the country, which was uh, remarkable to see, and in fact. Um, those celebrations impacted that night. So as, as we were traveling down, all traveling to Shapeshifter in Brooklyn uh, from different locations, um, as we were traveling to the venue, some of us got delayed by spontaneous celebration. So for example, I stopped to pick up Tyreek Jackson, who plays guitar on the album. And uh, we had a whole plan too for like how I would pick him up he would get in the back. We wouldn't touch. We'd have double masks on. He was going to sit. He he would sit in the back seat on the opposite side from me, and we'd have all the windows open. And fortunately, it was a very warm evening, so we were able to drive with the windows open comfortably. Um, but that was our plan: just to be cautious. Even though he had been completely isolating, and I had been isolating, we wanted to do everything we could to be cautious. So, um, after I picked him up, we, as we started to make our way to the venue, we got stuck in, a, in just a spontaneous celebration, people dancing in the street, honking car horns, cheering, <laughs> waving banners. Um, and uh, for a moment, I thought we might not make it to the venue on time, but we, we did. We got there fine. Uh, but downbeat came. We had to start, and our MC Matt Coonan, wasn't there. And uh, he did text me and said, I don't know what's going on, but I'm stuck in traffic like I've never seen. And he said, I don't know. And it turned out the same thing was happening. Celebrations uh, on the bridges he had to come over. And so when you see him walk on uh, in the video, we're we're, going to premiere a video uh, on May 7th as part of the Rope-A-Dope Music and Arts Festival. So that's... uh, for us, that's today, but for your oh, listeners, it'll have passed, uh, but the video will be out and we're going to premiere a video from the album, the first single of the album. Wonderful. And in the video, Matt walks on about five minutes into the song. <laughs> he had literally just arrived wow. and there's a couple funny things. Cody Davies, who, who does sample manipulation, mm-hmm. he, we didn't know Matt was in the venue. We just knew okay, Matt's held up. We need to start. And so we started. Cody started manipulating a sample of a crowd cheering. And it's very ironic because um, as he's doing this, Matt walks on stage (laughs) as if there's an audience cheering for him. So it's just one of those happy coincidences that happened in that set. Um, But yeah, he came came right from, uh, you know, this incredible traffic into the venue and uh, we start with the first single from the album, We Ain't Gotta. And um, if you listen to Matt's lyrics on uh, two of the tracks on the album, they're spontaneous freestyle lyrics and they reflect um, 
the the events of the day and the calling of the U.S. presidential election. So wow. we ain't we ain't gotta has the refrain. Thank God we ain't gotta do another four years of that. <laughs> it's um, gosh, I mean, I've I've seen videos of New York on the day uh, that have you know been put up on social media of the as you say the spontaneous celebration and uh, uh, it's yeah, it must have been well, I suppose proper. I, you know, potentially it would have been wonderful to be in that moment. And that for you, it would have been a, obviously terrible to be in that moment because they're preventing you from uh, getting where you need to be. But uh, there's so much about like in vivo, which has always struck me as, um, I suppose, any piece of art, whether it's uh, uh, literature, film, uh, music, uh, is always in, you know, a product of its time. It's very indicative of its time. And there's so much about in vivo that kind of reflects that that very moment the very fact that you're having to perform this as a as a live stream the fact you can see the distancing that's in place in the video the masks that are in place and the very fact that it's happening on the the day of the the u.s election result as well i mean it's you couldn't get more of a (laughs) a symbolic uh sort of image of you know something that's born of its era right and what what was happening in the in the world in 2020 in that time right yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's always a fine line. Like you don't want to make something, you know, like, for example, um, some artists like uh, they, they, they name their work quarantine this or quarantine that. And I totally understand that. So this is not any critique of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but a risk in doing that is then, then you date it in a certain way. And so it was, it was odd for us because we were trying to think, how do we make a live album that's just a live album, but also in, in the narrative about the album, communicate that all these things were going on. So, you know, that's why we didn't go for a name or um, too much focus on the fact that it was, uh, you know, happening in COVID. Uh, but the, the presidential election and the way that informed Matt's lyrics, you know, that was just what he felt in that moment. And so... Um, you know, it was really, it was appropriate and it made sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, as I say, I think it's a, it's a wonderful kind of, uh, sign of the time as well, as you say. So, um, yeah, that's excellent. Uh, regarding COVID and just sort of the, the, the quarantine period over the last year for you, have you, how did you kind of find that from a, a creative thing? Obviously you weren't in a situation where you could perform, uh, well, excuse me, uh, perform and just play with, with your bandmates and the people around you. Did you kind of, did it, um, were you brimming with ideas for this, that whole period or were you finding it take its toll on you creatively? Did you find yourself not wanting to do it and that this whole period was, was, was impacting you in that, in that creative context? I've had conversations with people who have, who were impacted and they, you know, you're prevented from living your life in your normal way, just going out, seeing friends, socializing, dating, traveling, and all these things that inform how people make music and the experiences that they share did how how did you find that period did you find yourself wanting to get out there and make music or did you find yourself like uh you know this is impacting my desire to do that well it certainly impacted my desire to do it um certain members of of the band make their primary living through performing so it was very difficult to see them put in difficult situation uh i think all musicians are you know in, in, in certainly in the new york scene but but yeah internationally as well um this was a very difficult time. And, and we decided, you know, we had something comes along, come out in September of 2020. So we thought, okay, well, 
we're losing all these gigs in the summer, but at least the album's coming out in the fall. And that'll, that'll sort of keep the band, uh, you know, uh, connected to its fans, but also to the industry folks who were thinking of booking us and things like that. It was important for them to see that album come out, but it was, it was kind of a disappointment to have a double album come out to get some of the best reviews we've ever gotten. Great international response to that album, but really not be able to do anything about it beyond right. say, Hey, yeah, we have an album out. So that was awkward because normally, you know, when that happens and that fuels additional gigs. And um, so that was one thing that was maybe uh, really transformed by COVID for us was what the meaning of that double album was in the trajectory of this project. Um, another thing that was different is um, when we have an album coming out, uh, like something comes along, we're almost always simultaneously as all the ramp up for the release is being prepared. We're almost always simultaneously having sessions for the next album. Mm -hmm. And those sessions happen in my home studio. And of course that couldn't happen. So mm -hmm. um, without the ability to meet, um, you know, I suggested to uh, the group, and this will sound familiar to you because you brought it up earlier, that it might be time for us to do um, an album that utilizes far more studio craft and production right. technique that has a kind of remix or beat production uh, approach. Um, and, and could we do that and still sound like Bright Dog Red? And so we were actually quite far along in wow. the beginnings of such an album when we did the live stream. And it was only after the live stream was over, uh, Eric Person, who's in the group, uh, soprano and alto sax and flute, and, and Matt Garrison and I were talking after the gig. And, you know, Matt's like, hey, this guy sounded really good tonight. And I said, yeah, you know, it felt, it felt good. And I said, Eric, check me on this, but didn't feel kind of like from beginning to end pretty cohesive and he said i think it was one about better sets and matt said well you know i have the multi-tracks if you want to listen to it and so from that moment all three of us kind of started talking about a live album hmm maybe that's that's going to be the case and and so what What's happened is what was going to be Bright Dog Red's fourth album is still very much in production and will be our fifth album. And you can look forward to that sometime next year in 2022. But wow. that's a very different way for us to work because that yeah. fifth album is really being put together remotely. Everybody is recording their parts in different locations uh, and I'm producing the whole thing. I'm putting it together here in my studio. Amazing. Well, there you go. It's another it's another sign about that whole, you know, the industry and artists and musicians having to adapt uh, to the sort of the situation around them. So that's really exciting that it's sort of coming together in that way. It's I, I think it's going to be an important album for this group. I'm very mm -hmm. excited about the next album as well. <laughs> The one afterwards, 2023, you were already planning? <laughs> <laughs> no, the one for 2022. But we actually do have, we do have a plan for 2023. We have a plan for the sixth album too, but I'll, I'll keep that under wraps. Sure, I have no doubts that you do as well. <laughs> That's really exciting. <laughs> um, something else that you, you know, in terms of like projects during this period, uh, you gifted uh, uh, fans and listeners with, with a kind of something of a bonus project. Uh, with Vega, 
which was a a real pleasure. Like uh, you, you you released this this record under the uh, the pseudonym of You Joe. Um, uh, when did when did this project come together? Yeah, so um, the pseudonym is You Dot Joe. Uh, yes. the, the period in there confuses everybody. Okay. <laughs> I picked a bad pseudonym. It's on me. And Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologize. I didn't know how to say it. Okay, you died, Joe. Right? Yep. Cool. Just, just so you know, nobody knows how to say it, and I really, <laughs> I really blew it with that one. But there's, there's, I, I don't mind sharing the story. When my now uh, teenage niece was a little girl, she was trying to write me a note, dear Uncle Joe, and she was struggling to spell spell Uncle. She could spell Joe just fine, and so the. The note was like a birthday card or something. In it, it was signed three times with uncle misspelled, crossed out, and finally just you, period, Joe, all lowercase. And I just thought it was the most precious thing. And so I've been using it as a production moniker ever since. Um, That's lovely. So, yeah, so shout out to my my niece, uh, Ruby. Um, And so, yeah, so uh, that was a collection of electronic music tracks that I produced in 2003 when reason was really like captivating me reason is a software synthesis production suite um and allows you to do sequencing and and use all sorts of uh, wonderful um virtual instruments so i was really immersed in that software and i was in a place called the vega valley Uh, it's spelled vega but for whatever reasons the local people in new york state pronounce it vega the vega valley and Um, I was there for, I lived there, but at this particular time, it was a weekend where I was alone in my home and it was late spring, early summer. And there was just a lot of natural life, Uh, insects, birds, wildlife, trees, wind, all the, all the things you would expect in a beautiful country setting. And so I started making pieces at different times of the day. And I wasn't thinking like, let me make pieces at different times of day. It just happened to be feeling really productive. And I was up early in the morning, up late at night. And, and, and um, I would make notes, you know, like uh, track one PM because I did it in the evening, you know, right. uh, track, track six late night. Cause I was at three in the morning or two in the morning, whatever, working at um, my workstation. And so uh, that evolved into the various tracks, which kind of trace, you know, they're not really perfectly in sequence, but it gives a sense of, of what, what I was experiencing that day in the natural world. And those electronic tracks um, stood uh, unreleased with the exception of some snippets being on my website for a number of years. Uh, and I thought with COVID, that was one thing that I could do is use some of my production skills to uh, bring them into um, a digital audio workstation and remaster them so they'd right. be ready for 2021. And yeah, I released them as an EP and it's been really nice to see the response and i appreciate your support of that release and, oh, and the, the nice review that you gave it um that's do, do you think that that's a, a a a project or a moniker that you you'll continue to sort of revisit i mean 2003 i think you said uh, as when you initially composed that do you ever think what you dot joe would sound like uh for you know 2021 2022 etc yeah so it's the moniker that i've used when i'm i'm producing stuff for other people like drum tracks and so i work with the dj chris manic and sometimes i produce tracks for him uh i've used it um with other producers as well mc righteous who used to be uh, the mc for bright dog red on the first album one of the mcs 
uh, he and I have collaborated and I use that moniker. It was never meant to be, uh, you know, kind of something where I would produce EPs or albums, but I think that will change definitely because, um, uh, there, there are a couple projects I have that I've started in the past couple of years that I want to develop further. That would make sense. Um, but recently I did produce for a friend of mine, um, Krishnananda Maharaja, who, uh, lives in uh, the Himalayas um, in the Uttarakhand uh, in the northern part of India. And um, he's actually in Uttarkashi. And he um, is a Veena player. He's a, a Saju and a Veena player and uh, basically spends, you know, good portions of his day practicing Veena. Um, and so he recorded his Veena using, I believe, using a phone and sent me the tracks and we produced a, uh, an EP called Kali uh, that's also out and available on, on Bandcamp. Wow. He recorded it on his phone. Yeah. And then I brought it into a DAW and processed it to, to get it to, you know, sound right. Cause you get a very compressed kind of recording. Mm. Um, he, yeah. He lives in a sm- he manages a small ashram. He lives there, manages it. And of course, pursues his own spiritual practice. Um, and um and uh, yeah, it was. It's been wonderful to collaborate with him. He's a friend of mine from uh, over thirty years ago, and uh, we've actually just recently reconnected. Oh wow! Um, was he? He he was U.S. based initially, correct? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Gosh, he's had a drastic transformation when you when you guys caught up. Yeah. Amazing. I would love to hear that. I'll give that a listen. Yeah, um, I'll send you. I'll send you the link for sure. Oh, awesome! Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I I, I guess it will be yeah awesome to hear how how you've sort of uh, adjusted your music kind of production for other artists as well. So that yeah, that would be a, a kind of joy to kind of delve more into into that side of of your music as well. So yeah, that would be awesome. Um, I suppose Roper Dope as well. I know you, you touched on uh, the sort of the connection that you you guys have 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 had since say you know since means to the end. I mean, they've kind of continued to to be on this this incredible journey uh, with you and the team. I mean, they've um, uh, it's it must be really exciting to have that kind of investment from such a revered uh, name, especially you know particularly in contemporary jazz. It's been a wonderful thing for us, and we're really, really grateful for their support. Uh, Louis uh, Marx, who's the CEO of the label, you know, when, when I first began corresponding with him, uh, you know, I, I, I told him we wanted to partner with the label. I didn't talk about getting signed. I said, we want to partner with the label. We, we know what we want to do, and we, we think that the support of a label has for us benefit. There are many artists who nowadays go direct and, and that can be beneficial. And, uh, but for this project, um, I, I saw real value in, and that was for us, the label, we really wanted to work with Ropadope. And, and yeah. the fact that I was looking for a partner appealed to Lewis and, and it's really evolved into that. And he's a wonderful person and, uh, his support has meant the world to us. Um, and so has the other core folks at the label. So I'd be remiss not to, to shout out um, Fabian Brown, who mm-hmm. is just yeah. a great force of positivity, who works mm-hmm. with me on trying to you know, continue to further the band as a, as a brand, as, as, as an entity and a franchise. And then Ben Mathewson, who handles all the business operations of the label, is the, I think label president is his title. Uh, they're just, they're wonderful to work with. And I think for them, what they appreciate 
is that I am approaching it, looking at it as partners. And, uh, and because I'm a, um, at this age, a salty old veteran of the recording industry, uh, I, te- I teach music industry. That's one of the things I teach as a professor. Uh, but I worked for, you know, labels for quite some time, uh, including um, a European label called CMP Records, another European label, ECM Records, which many of your listeners probably know, uh, RCA Victor, um, those are just a few of the labels I work for. Yeah. So I know the, the recording industry and I know what's realistic for a band like ours. And I think there's nice symbiosis there between Ropa Dope and Bright Dog Red. How does that process of partnering with a label differ mentally, at least, for, than signing with them? Well, you know, there's a degree of control artists give up uh, with certain types of uh label relationships we we have been able to be as creative and flexible as we want with the support of rope dope um and um there's also a a degree of control artists give up in terms of how they're marketed uh whereas with rope dope it's really it's a partnered conversation like what do you think or here's what i'm hearing is that right am i hearing this right um and there's been times where you know, Lewis has listened to one of our albums before release and he's come out with ideas of what, what should be done about it. And I'm like, wow, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't hear it that way, but that makes a lot of sense, you know? Um, and then other times where, you know, uh, maybe Fabian and I will get together and we'll just brainstorm about how best to, um, you know, sort of work things together. It, it gives me a degree of artistic, mm. um, not control so much, dire- direction is a better word. I can I can artistically express myself as an artist with this label that um, pretty much responds like okay yeah let's do it which is great you know within reason and, and we we talk things through but it's been a great it's really been a great relationship yeah tremendous I adore respect them as for them they're, yeah they're incredible it's a, a wonderful roster and uh, all the experiences that you seem to have had with them it's uh, yeah it's very inspiring for kind of independent labels and music so it's uh yeah really exciting to hear it you you know they've built a community like some some of the artists and i have become friends you know brad farberman comes to mind jeremy daneman tim lefebvre we've really connected um there's there's just other people who put stuff out on rope dope um um, that you know i've been able to connect with and and some more profoundly than others and and but you know even the ones that you just sort of you know, it's like a, you get just know them on social media, but you feel connected to yeah. uh, a certain group. Um, Lisa Marie uh, Lisa Marie Stevens comes to mind, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, that you know you trade messages with, and you just really appreciate 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 their work. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, um, I know you have. Speaking of Ropadope, I know you have your. Uh, you're a big event uh, momentarily. <laughs> so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I just have one final question, if I may, about your upcoming performance, uh, which, uh, you know, tickets are currently on sale for the, um, the, the live stream. It's May 14th. Is that correct? It's May 14th. That is correct. Awesome. What can, you know, where, where will that be? And, and what can people expect from, yep. from this one? So if people log on to band, uh, brightdogred.bandcamp.com, they can purchase tickets to the live stream. And we'll be live streaming from a studio in New York's Hudson Valley. Uh, it's actually a studio that uh, Eric Person has worked with. Uh, Eric Person, who is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, plays soprano and alto sax and flutes in Bright Dog Red. 
Eric is um, amazing musician and composer. Um, you can definitely check out his Bandcamp, uh, wonderful albums that he's put out. Uh, but he runs a music series called Night Flight Music Live, and it, it it's a streaming series that comes from this studio uh, in the Hudson Valley. So um, we decided that it would be right for Bright Dog Red to perform there. So we'll be doing that in uh, May 14th, and it'll be like most of our sets, an hour-long set. And um, certainly uh, we encourage people to come. If they buy a ticket, they also get the new album. Amazing. Wonderful. I'll certainly be be tuned in. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it will be awesome. Um, as you as you a regular uh, to our podcast series now, as you know, you have the luxury of picking a closing number. Uh, that um, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what you've picked. Did you have a moment to pick something out that send everyone home very happy with? Yes, I'm just going to look it up right now to make sure I'm getting the title right. <laughs> I can tell you it's from VJ Iyer's new album. Oh, amazing. His new album is called Uneasy. And um, I think the uh, track, uh, oh, yeah, um, th- th- there are actually a couple that I, I really love. But, but the one uh, that I'm going to go with is probably Uneasy.